wrote that everyone is in the pursuit of, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They want to be fulfilled. They won't have purpose in their lives. And uh, unfortunately, what, it, what has taken place in so many areas with this idea of purpose is a straw man that's been set up that promises purpose but does, really doesn't bring it. There's a lack of contentment in the lives of people. Countless numbers of philosophies, worldviews, and religious systems have emerged to try to secure these things. And in each pursuit is the never-ending search for truth. And each society purporting to have found the secret to life and happiness. Just get this and you'll be happy. Just do this and you'll be happy. Just follow this and you'll be happy. Bring this into your life and you'll have purpose and contentment and happiness. And the overarching sentiment in this pursuit is to find that which will secure this utopian society And everything has been tried. Everything has been tried. There's nothing new under the sun, the wisest man in the world said. People are still grasping for everything that's already been tried and nothing works. Among those things are art, education, music, intellectual achievement, science, politics, and that's just a few. There are literally hundreds In this list of things. But none of these things is able to suffice in the bringing of real happiness to a person's life, to the human heart, because the heart is black. It's corrupt. It is swallowed up in the darkness of deceit. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, Jeremiah said. No one can understand the depths of the depravity of the human heart. The people of the world, in pursuit of this utopian ideal, think that if they can just be free from the restraints of objective truth and biblical morality, that they will be free and happy people. But, but biblical, what they, but actually what they find themselves in is an enslave, is slavery to their own destructive cravings and desires. Those cravings and desires promise fullness and satisfaction. But they only leave the individual with emptiness. And a, sh- and a shackled in a dungeon of longing and just longing for freedom. So when a person thinks that they're free and they go their own way, being deceived by themselves, then they find that they're no longer free and they're searching for freedom again in something else. Try something else. And many people go through their whole lives just trying one thing after another, one thing after another, to try to find that place where they will feel free and fulfilled and happy. And countless millions never find it. The only thing that can unlock the shackles of the invisible prison that people find themselves in is the gospel of Christ. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit (coughs) gave us the word of God, which is the word of truth. And it is like God himself, unchanging and eternal. And that brings us to our passage this morning in John chapter 8. Follow with me beginning at verse 31. 
So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do not, and you do what you have heard from your father. I want to call your attention to verse 31, where Jesus said to those who had believed him, If you will abide in my word, truly you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John tells us that as Jesus was teaching these truths about himself and about his Father, that many of the people that he was speaking to believed in him. We have seen this same trend In several other passages, back in chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But the very next verse says, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. (laughs) In other words, Jesus knew... That these people who it says had believed in him really didn't believe in him. We see the same thing in chapter 4 verse 48 where Jesus rebukes their desire for the spectacular and calls their faith into question. We see the same thing in chapter 6, verse 60, where many of those that were following Jesus, after they heard his words, grumbled about what he had said. And in 60, verse 66, they walked away and never walked with him again, though it says that they believed in him. So we have to ask the question. What was the faith, or was the faith, of these people who it says believed in verse 30? Was it genuine, or was it superficial? Was it like the the seeds that fell upon the weeds, ready to be choked out? Did it sprout up and take root, only to be withered by the scorching of the sun? Or was it like those who fell among the rocks and the birds came and Snatched them up and brought in the cares of the world. This is the question that has to be asked when anyone makes a claim of faith in Christ. We rejoice. We rejoice when people are saved. We rejoice when there's professions of faith. We love to hear that people have repented of their sins and been saved. Uh, They want to follow the Savior. My my wife and I rejoiced just a few weeks ago when our granddaughter in in Virginia, when we heard word that she had told her dad that she she wanted to follow Jesus. we We were just rejoicing over that. But at the same time, in the back of our minds, is this... This question, is it real? It appears that she is still believing, of which we're thankful. But there has to be some kind of qualifying markers in a person's life that validates the the faith that they claim to have. Did not James say, faith without works is dead? 
by itself. It's alone. It has nothing with it. Jesus gives us the markers in this passage. After these people had made a profession of faith in Christ, Jesus says to them in verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It will set you free. The world does not, does not like the truth of God because of its sin and its deeds of darkness. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, he says, The activity of Satan is with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. You get those words. Wicked deception. For those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse, they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. That's why. On the other hand, believers love the truth of God. They walk in the truth. They speak the truth. They desire to obey the truth of God because it shines a light on their path And sets their feet on a firm foundation. Peter writes, Your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls, how, Peter? By your obedience to the truth. The psalmist writes, For you, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. I re- Paul, John writes in Second John 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. He writes in Third John, For I rejoice greatly with the brothers came, testified of your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. There is no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. I think there must be something to this truth that he speaks of. For it is the truth that brings spiritual freedom to the, to the lives of people. And that truth is Christ. He is the truth. Jesus now reveals the, fir- the results of what true belief in him as Lord looks like. Notice that he declares true faith in four parts that are true of every true conversion. The first thing here is belief itself. So what is this? What are we talking about? Well, there there is a, a great difference between what we would call intellectual assent and genuine trust or genuine faith. Intellectual assent recognizes Jesus as the one who is true. It recognizes him as the one who represents God and heaven, but it falls short of true heart belief. It is something that, that carries on in the mind, but never reaches the heart. You ask people, do you know who Jesus is? Sure. Do you, do you believe that Jesus came to earth? Sure. Do you believe he was the Son of God? Yes. Is your life committed to him? Do you follow his word? Is your life his? It's a great difference. Leon Morris writes, This section of discourse is addressed to those who believe and yet do not believe. Clearly, they are inclined to think that what Jesus said was true, but they are not prepared to yield to him the far-reaching allegiance that real trust in him implies. This is the most dangerous spiritual state 
To recognize that truth is in Jesus and do nothing about it means that in effect one aligns themselves with the enemies of the Lord. Just because someone says that they believe does not necessarily mean that their heart has been changed. When I was in the Air Force and I got saved in the Air Force in 71... I worked in an aircraft hangar with about 70 other men. Some were civilians. Uh, there was a few civilians, mostly worked on the engines. And the rest of us just worked on airframe. And I had a friend. His name was Dexter. And uh, when, I, when I came a Christian, I began to witness to Dexter. I began to tell him what Christ had done in my life and how he had changed me. And, and for months I did this. One day, Dexter came to me with a, a little Gideon New Testament that one of those that they give everybody that goes into the military. They give you a little Gideon New Testament, or they used to. I don't know if they still do it or not. And in the back, there, in the back of that little New Testament was a thing where it sort of leads you through an accepting of Christ. And, and Dexter came to me one day, and he, and he opened that little, held out that little New Testament, and he opened to the back, and he said, I did this. And he had signed his name under the little prayer that's back there. Oh, I was just so, I was so joyful. Someone that I had been witnessing to has gotten saved. And so for the next couple of weeks, every day, I would eat my lunch with Dexter. We would talk about things from Scripture and what God was doing and and he seen, it seemed so real. But after a couple of weeks, I began to notice that Dexter didn't necessarily want to eat with me anymore. I came to find out that what he had been involved with and running off to Carson City, Nevada, uh, almost every weekend, which he had stopped, was now he was now picking up again. And so I questioned him. I, I encouraged him to stay, stay with the Lord, to stay true to the Lord, to walk with the Lord. To no avail. He went back into the world. And even though he had made a profession, it was very obvious that it was not real. I was devastated. Such is the case, it seems, here. Now, there could be two groups of people in this. I, as I read the commentaries on this, uh, some say that this is one group of people who professed and they, they wasn't real. Some say that there were two groups here, some that professed but didn't believe truly and others who did believe truly. Regardless of whether that is true or not, they believed these people believed what they saw. They believed in the logic of His words, but they did not commit themselves to Him as Lord of their lives. This is more or less a replay of chapter 6, where many appeared to have believed, but stopped walking with Him and didn't walk with Him anymore. Just like my buddy Dexter. The aftermath of a genuine conversion always has the accompaniment of perseverance. Always. Those who truly come to Christ in faith, those who are truly born again, can never ultimately walk away from Christ. But those who profess to believe but really don't believe can and do. In chapter 12, verse 42... It says this, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. What did Jesus say about confessing him before men? If you confess me before men, I'll confess you in heaven. And if you don't, I won't. In other words, there is a belief that people can say they have that is not belief. Belief. 
Is it possible to have faith and not have it at the same time? Yes, it is. Turn to Luke chapter 8 with me. Turn to Luke 8. Verse, notice verse 13. This is Luke's, this is Luke's, uh, writing on the sower, the parable of the sower and the seed. And Jesus is explaining the parable to his disciples. And in verse 13, he says that the ones that were, the seed that was sowed on the rock, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. That was, that was Dexter. He seemed real. It seemed joyful. He professed. But these have, Jesus says, have no root. They believe for a while. You see that? They believe for a while. And in time of testing, fall away. So their belief was a belief, but it wasn't a real belief. It wasn't a genuine belief. It wasn't a true conversion. They didn't truly get born again. They just sort of had some sort of religious enlightenment and made a profession. Many people do this. The Apostle Paul gives warning to those who believe but don't believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2, he writes, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. If you hold fast. Unless you believed in vain. Ah, you see that? There is a sort of vain belief that people can have. They can make all kinds of professions. They can say all kinds of things. But the proof of that is... How do they see the Word of God and do they stay in it? Do they follow it? Do they persevere when the blasts of life come? When the persecution arises? When the tragedies strike? He writes in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Don't you realize that? Test yourself. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. That's why the writer of Hebrews writes, My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back. We are of those, those that are truly born again are of those who persevere. They stay with Christ. They walk with Christ. No matter what comes, they stay with Him. Whether it be in life or whether it be in death. The writer goes on in verse 39 to speak of those who have true faith. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and 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 preserve their souls. Mere intellectual assent is the same kind of faith that Satan and the demons have. You say, Satan has faith? Yeah, it does. Listen to what James says. You believe that God is one? You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What kind of belief is that? It's just an intellectual assent. They, They know who God is. They know what God has done. They know what will happen. But they don't trust Him. They hate Him. Saving faith has three elements in its makeup. First, there's knowledge, and then there's assent, and then there's trust. Notice Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 3. 
This is what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You, you can't... I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen God the Father. But I believe Him. I've placed my hope in Him. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So here we go. He says in verse 3, By faith we understand. That's knowledge. There has to be a knowledge of God for the individual. Without the knowledge of God, no one can be saved. So that's number one. The second is assent. We see that in verse one, the assurance of things hoped for. So we have the knowledge of God and, and the hope that lies in that assurance that he has given us in his word. And the third is conviction of things not seen. That's trust. So true saving faith not only understands the truth with the intellect, but it also assents to the truth with the, with the emotions, and then it trusts Christ by embracing Him as Lord, and that's with the will. This last step, that embracing of Christ as Lord, is what's missing in, in verse 30. Hebrews 11 goes on to illustrate true faith in the lives of those who trusted in God by showing their perseverance. So true belief is not simply making a claim of faith in Christ. It is also clinging to Christ and enduring with Him through life with all of its difficulties and trials. A true Christian, no matter what comes, Always goes back to Christ. Always. I think about those people in Mississippi and Alabama who just so many killed in that terrible tornado that went through through that those two states. Are those who follow, are following Christ when they've lost everything they have, do they walk away from Christ? Do they abandon Him thinking that He is, He's no good for them because He didn't help them out? That's not what true faith does. That's not what Job did when he lost everything. What did he do? He committed his soul to Him who judges rightly. So that's the first thing, belief itself. Second, the second thing is abiding in His Word. Abiding in His Word. The word abide is the key here. It means to remain. It means to stay. It means to continue in a state, condition, or activity. In other words, when one abides in the Word of Christ, they obey the Word of Christ. They seek to carry it out in actions. They want to do what Jesus said. Live like Jesus told them. If you notice the words, you are, he says, if you abide in my words, then truly you are. That's a present tense word that, that has to do with habitual activity. You continue on doing You continue on being. And it never stops. That indicates the reality of being a true disciple. He did not say, if you abide in my word, you will become my disciple. That would be working your way there. Instead, he states the nature of truly believing, which is continued obedience to his word. That's the nature of belief. Continuing and working out the salvation in one's life. 
to Jesus as Lord. This is a common theme in the New Testament. John 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Not just has them, but keeps them. Does them. John 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So if you want to claim the love of Christ upon your life, upon your soul, if you want to claim that, then you have to continue in His commandments. Otherwise, you can't claim it. 1 John chapter 2, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. Well, that's, you don't have to get any more plain than that, do you? The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we, know we are in him. That's how you know you're in him. What is your desire? What is your desire in the commandments of Christ? Do you desire to keep them? Do you desire to walk with Him in holiness? Do you desire to fulfill what He has told you in your life through His Word? Is your love for Him based upon what He has given you in His Word? Or is it just some fickle feeling of emotional hype? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way he walked. MacArthur writes, It is not possible to be saved without confessing Christ as Lord and giving willing obedience to his lordship. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord? And then don't do what I say. The inference there is that if you're not doing what Jesus says, you can't call Him Lord. Because He's not Lord if you're going against what He said. You're the Lord then in that case. This is what it means to abide as a true disciple of Christ. The Bible is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus' true disciples are word-oriented people. They believe the word. They follow the word. They obey the word. It is the very life stream of their existence. It dictates to them their view of the world and how to live in it. The impact of of true disciples is their adherence to the word of God. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 verse 14, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Word of God abides in those who follow Jesus as Lord. Don Carson writes this, A genuine believer remains in Jesus' word, his teaching. That is, such a person obeys it, seeks to understand it better, and finds it more precious, more controlling, precisely when other forces flatly oppose it. It is is the one who continues in the teaching who has both the Father and the Son. One old Servant of God from the past writes this. He bends our hearts. He causes our faculties both of soul and body to yield prompt obedience. That's where true discipleship is. It's in obedience to his word. There is a settled determination in the heart and mind of the believer to live in the Word and to live by the Word. It is a perpetual listening to, reflecting on, and carrying out the bidding of God's Word. John again in 2 John 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So people who say, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but then they go on and live their life the way they want to with disregard of the, of the Bible or what Christ has said, they don't have God. They're not Christians. They're just play acting. Just weak, empty professions that mean nothing because there's no substance. So the second thing there is abiding in His Word. The third thing in this is that Jesus reveals, what He reveals about true discipleship is that they know the truth. They know the truth. You're truly my disciples if you abide in my word and know the truth. He is not saying you'll know the truth about yourself or about your past or about your family history or uh, you'll not know the truth about uh, how someone has hurt you or harmed you, how, how you have been made some sort of victim. This is the way many describe this verse. That is not what he's saying. It's not bringing about some uh, revelation of, of your past or your circumstance. Knowing the truth is knowing his truth. Not truth about you. Although that could be partial in regard to sin. But we understand that the whole world is dominated by the evil one. And the evil one is a liar. His character has not changed. Jesus says down in verse 44, look at it. You are of your father, the devil, and your, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks... When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of liars. Hmm. The only way to know when something is really false is to know what's really true. God, John has told us at the outset of his gospel that Jesus was full of grace and truth. In John 1.14. And that, and then he says in verse 17, that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when a true disciple hears the words of Christ, having been intimately connected to Christ, those words produce a moral connection that exists between the disciple and Christ. The lines are open. The way is of communication is there. And the true disciple connects morally with what Jesus says in his word. The unbelieving world exists in the darkness of this false deception. They do not have the truth. They are not connected to the truth. And in fact, they hate the truth. Because they are carrying out deeds and desires of the flesh. But the believer lives in the light of God's truth. That is found in the knowledge of Christ who is the truth. According to chapter 14 verse 6. Paul's admonition to the Ephesian believers was to be settled in the truth. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. After giving... After giving them three long chapters on the character of God and His salvation, all the way through from chapter 1 through verse, chapter, at the end of chapter 3, now Paul addresses these believers in Ephesus based upon what he has told them in the first three chapters. Notice with me verses 11 through 15. And then 17 through 21. Follow along with commentary. And he gave the apostles, 
and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? What For what purpose? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's why... That's why we have to tell about those who are teaching error. That's why they have to be called out. Because there is human cunning. There is deceitful schemes out there that call themselves Christian. And they're not. Rather, he says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Love is always, listen to me carefully, love is always connected to truth. Oh, why can't Christians just just love each other and just get along? Why can't all the denominations come together and just everybody just under one big umbrella, uh, you know, just love each other? Because in many cases there's a lack of truth. We love in the truth, not outside of it. Skip down to verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How do they walk? In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They do not know the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. Their hearts are darkened. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Hmm. must know the truth because without the truth there is no real love to be shared. Number four, and the last thing here is Jesus says about being a true disciple is to find freedom from the bondage of sin. Now he is saying that the aforementioned truth about Christ and about ourselves and about our sin is what sets us free. So when he says the truth will set you free, he means that his saving grace will set them free from their slavery to sin. That's what he's saying. Here at the end of the Feast of Booths, Celebrating the freedom of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage under their first Redeemer, who was Moses. Now Jesus puts himself forward as the last Redeemer of which Moses spoke. God will raise up a prophet like me. To him you will hear, you will listen. The time has not come yet, has it, for them to listen. I'm talking about the Jewish people now. Paul writes that there's a veil over their eyes. They can't see that Christ is the Messiah. Only a few individually come. But the day will come in which God will open the eyes of Israel 
the nation of Israel as a nation and they will see Him whom they pierced and they will believe in Him. He is the one who brings sinners into God's kingdom. Not just, not just Jewish sinners, but Gentile sinners as well. Aren't you glad for that? Hey, God could have left us all out. I mean, He chose Israel. He chose Abraham and all of His seed. And he made promises to them. But He didn't make promises to, to the Gentile nations. Not like that. But in His mercy and in His grace, He, he chose to save people from all of the Gentile nations and bring them in as well and graft them in to that branch that is Christ. This is the freedom that Paul speaks of. It's a freedom from sin. Turn with me to Romans 6 very quickly. Romans 6. I have a year-long study that I did some years back from Romans 6. We spent a whole year in just that chapter. You would do well to, to study it yourself. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, For if we have been united with him in death, a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, if we've been united, if we died with Christ, which he says we have, then we're going to be resurrected with Christ, which, which spiritually has already taken place. We're just looking for that Resurrection that takes place physically. He says, if we've, we'll be resurrected, united in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that, why? What was the purpose and the, and the extended result of dying with Christ and being raised to new life? It was that so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. That is, from sin's domination over us. Sin still is there. It's in our flesh. But that's not us. We've been created newly in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And that old life of being dominated to sin is gone. Sin's still there, still rears its ugly head, still tempts us, and sometimes we still fall into it. But we do not stay there. We want to be out of that. We want to, we want to be with Walking with Christ, we want to live holy. That's our desire. And so we're constantly running to Him in confession. And His promise is that if we confess, He will forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Turn with me over quickly, and I'm running out of time. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Paul goes on to build the case for freedom of the children of God in Romans 8. Just a few verses. These are not all the verses he uses here, but just this brings brings about the point. Verse 14, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By where we cry, Abba, Father, or literally, Daddy. We, God is our Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you see what he's saying? We've been freed. We've been freed from sin's domination. We've been freed from sin's destructive power. It no longer has hold on us. It no longer, it no longer dominates us. We do not have to obey it anymore. We are not its slaves. 
We are slaves of God. And the rest of creation is waiting for that same thing. If the Son makes us free, then we're free indeed. It is a sure proposition. We come to worship our God, and that worship is the fruit of truth. Religious feelings that do not come from an understanding of God are neither holy nor free, no matter how sincere or intense they might be. The prophecy of Isaiah would come to pass in the one who himself was truth, the only one who could make dead people live and set prisoners free from their dungeons of slavery. That's what Jesus does. For those who will call upon His name in repentance of sin and turn from their lives of sin to follow Him in trust and true belief, not just a, an assent that says, oh, I know He's there and I know He was good and I know He did these good things, but a falling before Him, prostrate and submitting themselves to Him their entire lives, their entire being. As Lord. That's what true belief does. I pray that everyone in this room has done that. And has had that experience. And if you haven't, you can. By turning from your sin. Forsaking your sin. Trusting Christ alone. For salvation. And then follow Him. Obey Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the day that You've given us to come to worship. We thank You that uh, the Lord Jesus gave Himself for us. A sweet smelling savor to the Father. So that we might... Be born again. We might have the life of God in us. That we might have a Lord that loves us and, and has given us the truth. I pray that we would abide, remain, stay, persevere in the Word and with Christ and follow Him wherever He goes. That's what the Lord Jesus said of His Father. That He followed wherever He went. Did whatever He did. May we do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.